O Lord my God, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from those who pursue me and deliver me, or he will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. O Lord my God, I have done this. If there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend, or have plundered him, without, who without cause was my adversary? Let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries and arouse yourself from me. You have appointed judgment. Let the assembly of the people encompass you and over them return on high. The Lord judges the people. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. If a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he tra travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief and brings forth falsehood. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out, and, he, and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief will return upon his own head, and his violence will descend upon his own pain. I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of of the Lord Most High. These are the very words of God. Blessed be God. A young man, about 25 years ago, he was trying to escape from a problem that he had. He lived in an old apartment building. He'd lived there for many years. He was probably between the ages of 25 and 30. And trying to escape the problems that he had, he ran down his hallway. Rather than taking the exit in the stairs to get out of the building, he pressed the button for the elevator. And he pressed it again and again, but the elevator wasn't coming fast enough. So he banged on the elevator door, and he banged on the elevator door, desperate to get away from the problems that he had. And the elevator door opened, and he stepped into eternity. He fell six floors to the top of the elevator he was waiting for. And he was alive for four days until he passed away, until somebody found him. He was desperately trying to get away from a problem and put his trust in something that couldn't sustain him. He knew for certain that that elevator would be there when the door opened, yet it wasn't. And he died. It is a true story. 
I remember it to this day because it came from a previous job that I had had. And I remember when it happened, and I remember in the disgust and the horror when we heard about what happened, about how he lived for those days. But he put his trust in something that could not sustain him. He put his trust in something that could not save him from the problems that he had. We come into this psalm today, Psalm 7, a psalm of David. Uh, As we are aware, at least about half the psalms are written by David himself. We come into this psalm today, it's a psalm about trust too, about putting right trust in the Lord for the problems that you have, about looking to the right place to put your trust in for sustenance and for refuge there. I had Roy read all 17 verses of this psalm, but we will only be, I will only be preaching through psalm, verse 10 today. Next week, we'll close it out. But only through Psalm 10 today is what we're dealing with. We see that in the beginning of this psalm, that it says that it is a shigion of David. A word that doesn't have a whole lot of... Well, it's what's referred to as a hapax legomen. It's a fancy word to saying it's only used one time in the Scripture. This is the only place that you find it in this form, shigion of David. We have ascertained, or those those people in academia have ascertained that it probably refers to a praise. So we could say it's a praise of David, which he sung to the Lord, which he sung to Yahweh concerning Cush, a Benjamite. That gives us the framework of what we're dealing with here. Uh, It gives us the idea of, of, of where we're at or and what David is what's going on in David's life or what he's dealing with here which he sang to the Lord, a praise which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. What do we know about the Benjamites? Who were they and why is this, why is this uh, prominent that is here in this verse? Well, for one thing, Saul was a Benjamite from the tribe of Benjamin. We also know that it was, I believe it was a Shammai, who, when David was fleeing from Absalom, was a Benjamite who put a curse on David. And we also know that it was, I believe it was Shemiel that we would find out later on in David's life that led a revolt against him, and he was also a Benjamite. One might say that David has a Benjamite problem. That for some reason, they have it out for him. We don't know who this Cush is, we just know his name. We can search the scriptures, but we won't find anything more about him other than right here. But remember that the words that were given are the exact words that the Lord desires that we have. We remember that these words are exactly what we need to know right here and now. We don't need any more information about this to understand what David's talking about. It says, a shigion of David, a praise of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. We will find out a little bit about what's causing the problems here shortly. 
Verse 1, he says, O Lord, my God, in You I have taken refuge. It is to You, Lord, that I have sought refuge. It is behind Your walls that I have sought to, to find safety. And I have turned to You, Lord, to save me. He says, save me, in the second part of that verse, from all who pursue me and deliver me. Because of what is going on in David's life by this Benjamite, the pursuit that is happening, it is something that he can't solve himself. Perhaps David has tried to save himself. Perhaps he has sought to defend himself. We don't know. But we do know at this point in time, he has cried out to Yahweh and he has said, I have taken refuge in you. I have sought you out, Lord. Of all the things, of the places I could seek my safety out, I have sought you. I have turned to you. I have come to you, Lord. You are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are the one who can save me. This is not unusual for David, even though we're only in the seventh psalm in the, the book of Psalms, right? We know that David has said similar things already. Turn, me, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 3. This was when David was being pursued by his son, Absalom. In verse 3 of Psalm 3, he says this, But you, O Lord, but you, O Yahweh, are a shield about me. A shield around me. Not the buckler that is just in front of me, but one that protects on all sides. You are the only one that can do that. You are the one that surrounds me in your love and your safety. You are the only one that I can count on. You are the one that I can turn to. No other is like you, Lord. You are that one. You are that shield that surrounds me all about. Regardless of which side the enemy attacks me from, you are there, Lord. That's what David knows. That's the Lord that David knows. We know from David's life, what was he when he was a young boy? He was a shepherd over his father's flocks. We see in 1 Samuel, before he goes to face Goliath, when he's confronted with the fact that he's too young. What we hear from him is a young man that trusts in the Lord even then. What does he say in regard to Saul when there's questions about his ability, about his resolve? He says, when the bear or the lion took one of my sheep, I set off after them. I grabbed them by the beard and struck them dead. Because the Lord was with me. Because I put my trust in the Lord. This is the same David. An older man. One who has seen things. One who has become the ruler of an empire. One who has been pursued by his son who sought to kill him. 
This David is the one who says, You are my refuge. In you I have taken refuge. In you I have sought safety. In you I have trusted it. It's the same Lord that he'll say in Psalm chapter 20, Psalm 23, verse 4. If you want to take a moment and turn there. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. I will fear no man. I will fear nothing that men can bring against me because you, God, are with me. My right fear is in the Lord. My wrong fear would be in men. The Psalms would later say that when a man dies, his thoughts are gone with him. Yet God is forever. David knows this. David knows what is going on. He knows that whatever this Benjamite Cush is doing, that he must put his own trust in the Lord. The Lord who he has trusted throughout his life. This is where he must put his faith and trust in. O Lord, my God, in verse 1 of Psalm 7, in you I have taken refuge. Save me from those who pursue me and deliver me. Those who pursue me, those who are after me, those who we will find out are like the lion shortly. Those who are chasing after me. Those who are pursuing me like I'm the rabbit and they're the dog chasing after me. The ones that I cannot shake. The ones that seem to be always on my trail. The ones that no matter what I do and where I turn, they're still there after me. The ones that I can't get away from by myself. Those that are pursuing me, a dogged pursuit. Exhausting pursuit. One that's wearing him out. He's not putting his trust in things that can't sustain. He's not putting his trust in pagan idols. He's putting his trust in the only living God that there is. He's putting his trust in the only one, as he says in Psalm 3 again, he says, I lay down, I sleep, I wake up, the Lord sustains me, no one else. This is the God in whom he is putting his trust. Even in this pursuit of the people that are after him, this is who he's trusting in, and he cries out, deliver me. Deliver me from whatever is happening here. We haven't got to that part yet. We're soon going to find out what it is. I don't want to ruin it. In verse 2, he says this, because of their pursuit, I'm trusting in you, God. I'm holding on to you, God. I'm holding on to, much like, uh, like we, we, would, we would find out that, that man in confronting with Jesus, I do believe, help me with my unbelief, right? I trust in you, God. Help me with my unbelief. Because if you don't deliver me, it says in verse 2, or he, this Cush, this Benjamite, will tear my soul like a lion will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. What do we know about the king of beasts? More importantly, what do we know about the king of beasts that was viewed then by David? 
What is the usage of this language that he's at? Remember, our psalms are very picturesque. Our psalms paint a picture for us of what is going on. Why the lion? Remember, no errant words in the Scripture, no accidental words in the Scripture. Every word chosen for a particular reason as led by the Holy Spirit for those who wrote it. There's a reason why he said, it would tear my soul like a lion. Turn with me if you would. It's not up there on the screen. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 29. Isaiah 5, verse 29. We get the description of the lion. Its roaring is like a lioness. It roars like young lions. It growls as it seizes the prey and carries it off with no one to deliver it. And it will growl over it in that day like the roaring of the sea. If one looks to the land, behold, there is darkness and distress. Even the light is darkened by the clouds. When David, as led by the Holy Spirit, has written these words when he has used a lion to describe his situation. He is describing a situation of utter desperation. The lion is seen as unassailable. That one that can't be gotten away from. That his pursuit is that of a lion chasing him down in that when the lion catches him, it will tear him to pieces. That that is the pursuit that he is under. That that is what he is feeling. That he there is no escape for him in this situation. That there is nothing that he can do of his own accord. That there is none here on this earth that can help him. That he must take the refuge in the Lord. That he must hide behind the fortress that is the Lord. That he must put his trust in who God is and that God is the one who sustains him. But as he's running down that hallway, he's not seeking an elevator. What he's seeking is the Lord. That he stops and considers where he's at and that everything that he's going through is as designed by God. That he must turn to the Lord to trust. 2 Timothy chapter 4 2 Timothy chapter 4. You would turn there. We see Paul saying something somewhat similar. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. This is Paul speaking. This is Paul writing from the Mamorite prison. Uh, Paul will be beheaded soon uh, in weeks, if not days, from the time he has written this. Uh, he is uh, writing this letter. Uh, in these letters, you would see First and Second Timothy and Titus at this time. Uh, he is discipling by letter uh, to Timothy and to Titus. Uh, the pressure has to be great upon Paul. Uh, when you're faced with your imminent doom, when his head will be separated from his body shortly. But he says these words. We'll start in 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. 
may it not be counted against them. We could stop there and preach a series of messages about that. Not counting on men for support. And Paul will say in verse 17, but the Lord stood with me. But the Lord stood with me. The triune God stood with me. Jesus stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If we were to stop this message today, we would say, I would say to you, trust in Jesus himself. Trust not in man. Trust not in the sweetest frame as the song goes. But trust in the Lord. Look to the Lord and his promises. Think about this for a moment. David saw as if through a dark glass, uh, through a dark glass the promises of God. Paul, looking through a less dark glass, saw those promises fulfilled through Christ himself. David seeking sustenance in the Lord, trusting in those promises, Paul knowing that the Lord himself, the Messiah, does live and sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for all who believe in him right as we speak. David seeking that salvation through the Lord for deliverance. Paul knowing for a fact that that deliverance itself comes through the Lord there. Paul rightly pointing out that no one came to defend me, but don't hold that against them because man is weak. But I trust in you, Lord. Even as my head will be separated from my body, I will trust that I will be transitioned into your glorious paradise at that moment. David seeking sustenance and refuge from worldly issues which speaks to us in heavenly ways. We see the near word of David as his direct situation, and we also see the far word of David that speaks to the coming Messiah. Verse 2 of Psalm 7 again, or he will tear my soul like a lion. This, whatever is happening to David at this point in time, is nothing he can do to resist it. If we've only ever heard, even if it's on TV, of the lions, even their growl, it is significant. It will definitely, in the dark of the night, put terror into the soul of a man. And David has chosen these words through the leading of the Holy Spirit to describe his situation. He says then that this lion will tear my soul, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. There is no man who will stand in my place to take this away from me. There is none who will come to my side to save me. 
It might have been you yourself standing on the playground fighting that fight by yourself with no friend, with friends just standing and watching it go on. No help against the larger foe. There is none that will help me, Lord. You are the only one who can deliver me. You are the only one who can save me, O Lord. We find this, which would be referred to in verses 1 and 2 as what is referred to as the first strophe, right? That is a a section together. We're going to find the next three now that are together, three, four, and five, is another unit. So he has pleaded his case for salvation to the Lord because he is being pursued and will be destroyed by whatever this is. And now we're going to get to the behind of what is causing this by Cush, this Benjamite. In verse 3, it says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is injustice in my hands, if I have rewarded evil to my friend, or have plundered him who is without cause, was my adversary, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life down to the ground and lay my glory in the dust, Salah. This is the situation. It is a situation of slander that is happening. It is a situation of false accusation that is coming against David himself. And David is pleading out to the Lord about this. As you'll notice here, he is not claiming that he is sinless. What he is claiming is that he is not guilty in this slander that is occurring. We might say to ourselves, no big deal. People say lies all the time about other people. One need only turn on the TV and uh, and see half-truths every news program that you watch. but it's particularly problematic for David as the king. David as the king, he is God's representative to the nation of Israel. David as king is the one who has been installed by the Lord. David as king is the one who, if they say that he is lying, is a slander against God himself. David as king, if if these things are true, will upend his reign will cause chaos in the nation. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. You are very familiar with this particular verse. Exodus 20, Exodus 20, verse 16. Part of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is exactly what is happening to David. False witness is being born against him. This Benjamite, Cush, is spreading lies and rumors and mistruths about David, about his character. And what is happening is it's upending David's reign to the point that these lies are being spread throughout his kingdom. That if they are not done, that he, David himself, might die because of this. Because of these falsehoods. We see these falsehoods throughout the scripture that are sown about people. Genesis 39-17 is the result of what happens with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. 
if we remember that story that Joseph is high up in the high up in the in the nation of uh, of Egypt <coughs> having been sold into slavery by his brothers 39:17 it says these words then she spoke to him these words the hebrew slave that's joseph whom brought whom you brought to us came to me to make sport of me and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and he fled outside and noticed what happens next. 19, now when the master heard the words of his wife, which he spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him in jail. There was no defense on Joseph's part. All Joseph could do is trust in the Lord and what happens. He trusts in the Lord even through his imprisonment. And he is vindicated. we would see that the Lord Himself, Jeremiah 17.10, Jeremiah 17.10, if you turn there, we find that I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds, I, the Lord, search the heart. That's what David's crying out for right now. You search my heart, Lord. You will see that I am innocent in this thing I'm being accused of. You will find that I'm innocent in the slander that is being driven my way. You will see that I know that I am not guilty of this, of whatever this Benjamite is calling me out. That... If I have done injustice, Lord, David is saying, if I have done and rewarded evil to my friend, the one who trusted in me, if I have plundered them, let then the enemy pursue me like that lion. Let the enemy be like that lion and tear me apart. He's pleading with the Lord, remember, not that he is sinless, but that he is innocent in these charges that are against him. We see in this psalm, we see in so many psalms, we see the cry of the heart of a man. We see the emotions of a man put out here. What we don't see, we see the prayer from the heart of David and what he's going on, what's going on in his life, right? What we don't see is a carefully crafted prayer that says the right things to be said. What we see is a man speaking from his heart in the feelings that are going on right now. You see, it's a good pattern for us to be in, to pray in all things. To feel that if I am pursued like this, that I can pray to the Lord and say, if I am not innocent, show me, God, that I'm not. Show me where I need to repent of my sin. Show me when I need to do these things. You see, God can take your anger. God can take your misunderstanding. God can hear your most heartfelt prayers. They don't need to be perfectly formed because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within us will make them perfect before the Lord as they go up like an incense before Him. Turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 6. 
go back to Paul. He has many good things to say to us, and he'll continue here. Just a repeat of Jeremiah, he says, well, we'll start in 5, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. I'm just amazed when I read the Psalms and then I read the words of Paul, how the scripture fits together. As I was talking with a fellow brother this morning, that there, the consistency of scripture is great how it dovetails together. And to add to that, look at Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. Proverbs 29, 25. David, again. Think about David for a moment. I put my trust in you, Lord. I am seeking refuge in you, Lord. Uh, you are my fortress or my rock. It says in 25 of Proverbs 29, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings certain death. The fear of man is putting fear in the wrong category. The fear of man is putting it in the fear of that which is created not putting fear in the right place, which is in the Creator. The fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. He who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. He who trusts in the Lord is putting, putting the glory in the right place. He who trusts in the Lord will be a witness for the great things that God does. He who trusts in the Lord when the things aren't going right, is glorifying God. He who trusts in the Lord when the phone call comes that you didn't want is glorifying God the way it should be. His life is but a vapor. David knows that. Much of what David writes is for the glory of God is to glorify the Lord in all that He does. And we'll see that as it comes into these next set of verses. Look at verse 6. Arise, O Lord. We would find this in Deuteronomy, that arise, O Lord. Arise, uh, you know, uh, uh, come up and, and do justice, right? It says, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Arise, O Lord, as you are the only just God, the one who is the righteous and just one, the one who punishes the wicked, the one who desires truth and justice, arise, O Lord, in your anger, because God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with all wickedness at all times, and it is only by His great grace that any are alive in the wickedness that occurs. Arise, O Lord, in your anger, lift up yourself against the rage of my adversaries, and arouse yourself for me. You have appointed judgment. 
Arise against these things and, 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 and sustain me, Lord. Arise against these ones that are seeking to destroy me, your servant. Allow me to glorify you, God, and arise yourself and stop this injustice from happening. Isaiah 3, verse 13 Isaiah 3.13 says these words. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord arises to contend and judges the people. That's what David is calling on here. He's calling for the Lord to do these things. Remember back to his verse, I seek refuge in you, God. I seek you to deliver me. Now arise and I, I, justice. Let your justice flow down like a river. Let your justice come against the God-haters. Let your justice come against those whose hearts are hardened against you. In verse 7 of Psalm 7, let the assembly of the peoples encompass you and over them return on high. Let you be glorified, God. That's what I would say, a short version of that, that you might be seen in right view, that you might be seen in right relationship to your creation, that you are the creator, that because of the justice that you are, the righteousness that you are, the truthfulness that you are, the love and wrath that you are, that you are placed in the right position before the people, that they see you as the Creator God, that you are the one to fear, that you are the one to glorify, because in verse 8 of Psalm 7, it says, The Lord judges the peoples. Vindicate me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and my integrity that is in me. Again, this is not about sinlessness of David. He is talking specifically about what he is being accused of here. Vindicate me in my innocence, O Lord. Because you are the one that seeks vengeance. Because you are the one who is just. Asaph, the priest in Psalm 73 saw similar things. He looked out upon the city and he would see that the wicked are seemingly prospering. He would have great doubts about what he believed in. He wisely did not share that with his congregation. And when he returned to the temple of the Lord, he saw what would occur to those who are against the Lord. He would say in verse 20, or excuse me, he would say in verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. The end of the wicked of what happens 
because the Lord is the one who is the righteous judge. The Lord is the one who is the shield round about David. The Lord is the one who sustained him when he was a shepherd as a young boy and went after the sheep that were taken by the lion or the bear. The Lord is the one that can save him from the lions that tear apart and snap the bones. It is that God, Yahweh, who David is crying out to. And we could stop here and say the same goes for us. That we know through the triune God that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. We know that Jesus is the one who sustains us. We know that Jesus is the one who saves us. We know that this life is but a vapor in that the proper course of life is Philippians 2.12 to fear the Lord and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To put right fear not in man whose thoughts disappear the moment he hits the grave, but to put our fear and our respect in right place in the Lord Himself. That is, the Lord is the one who sustains me that I lay down I go to sleep, I wake up, and it's all because of God. If you take nothing else away, remember we would say that, the, that it has been referred to many times, that sleep itself is referred to, has been for many millennia, as the little death. Because there is nothing that we do in our sleep that sustains us. It is fully God's hand upon us that allows us to wake up. And David knows that well. He knows that God is the one who vindicates him. That God is the one who will sustain him. And then he says in verse 9, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteousness for the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. The righteous God tries the hearts and minds. It is God who judges David knows that it is only through God Himself that he has refuge and sustenance that is the only one that he can truly trust in. That much like Paul, when all have abandoned him, God has not abandoned him. That when the Marian martyrs were tied to the stake and burning alive, that God sustained them through that as a witness is a witness through the ages of the power of the Lord. I can't help but think that when they go to the stake, for example, Cranmer, when he goes to the stake, Cranmer, who had denied, had turned back on his faith and signed a confession, and then when he recanted of that confession and goes to the stake and the flames start licking up around his body, that he takes his hand that had signed that false confession and allows that to burn first in the fire. It is only through the Lord that can sustain through witnesses like this. It is not the trust in what man will do, but the trust in what the Lord has done and that what He will do and that He will carry your body off into eternity with Him. And David knows that. In verse 10 he says, My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. 
Does that mean that David will live forever here? No. It doesn't. That's not what David's saying. What David is saying is he trusts in the Lord that he will be in eternity. That later on he will say that I will be with my son, with you forever. That I will be born off to my ancestors who trusted in you forever. That I trust in you, Lord. David only has a shadow of the Messiah that will come that he would prophesy in Psalm 110. The Messiah that we know has come. That we know sits on the right hand of the Father. That David knows intimately now, unlike we can know until we arrive there on that shore so far away. David trusts in that shield that God had said to Abraham in Genesis 15.1 that he, God, Yahweh, would be Abraham's shield. David trusts in those promises. And perhaps he even knows better than we do of Colossians 3.2. In these times of trial that David has, Colossians 3.2. That the... Uh, went too far. Sorry about the sticking page. It's Colossians 3.2 where he says this. He says, now think about this with regard to David. Think about the words that David has said so far. And now this is Paul speaking. And this is how the Bible dovetails together. 3-2, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. Where has, where has David set his trust in? In the Lord. And how the Lord will sustain him. And he has only a partial picture of who Jesus is. He doesn't know when Jesus is coming. He hasn't seen the Messiah. He won't know for a while yet that it's prophesied through his line that that Messiah will come. But here we have that intimate trust in the Lord and all the Lord will do to sustain him. So we learn from this passage, right? We learn that we put our trust in Jesus. We put our trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has borne away our sins, who has done the things that we couldn't do, that the sin that was tearing at us like a lion seeking to devour us, to tear us apart, that He bore that away for us. That he was like the sheep before the shears and did not open his mouth. That he took upon sins that he did not do on our behalf. That he took upon the lies upon himself on our stead. That he took the punishment that we should have had. That he was silent. And did not defend himself so that we might be saved. That we would know that it is not our job to pay back evil for evil. But to trust in the Lord, as it would say in Romans chapter 12, that we trust in the Lord that he is the one who avenged these things. 
that we trust in the Lord that the things that are occurring to us right now, whether it be a lion that's pursuing us or a person at work that's slandering us, that it is in the Lord's hand and it's the best thing that could be happening to us as a believer right now. That is through this perseverance, through this trust in the Lord that we grow and mature as Christ followers. That David, like he, is growing and maturing in what's happening here and putting his trust in the Lord. That we learn not to put our trust in the sweetest frame or in the promises of men. That we put our trust in the promises of God. That we put our trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And we put our trust in that Christ who has risen, ascended again, and sits at the right hand of the Father. Right now, interceding for us. And I would say that at this moment, if you do not know who Jesus Christ is, you need to come now to Jesus. You do not need to wait till tomorrow to come to Jesus. Now is the time to come to Jesus Christ and to know Him as your Lord and Savior. Now is the time. Now is the appropriate time to come to know Jesus. I'll leave with Philippians chapter 4. We can see this in David's life. We can see this that where his trust was at. We can see this that his trust was not in those things of man, like that young man in the beginning of the story that who banged on the elevator door and then thought something would be there to save him, or it was not. That we put our trust in that finished work of Christ Himself, and we say in Philippians 4 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord sometimes. It doesn't say rejoice in the Lord when things are going my way, when I got the promotion or got the new car. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trust in the finished works of Christ in your life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these Psalms of David. Thank you for all the Psalms that are there. We thank you for the words that are given there that, that, that point us to you, Lord. We thank you that you have taken, uh, that your son has taken on that devouring lion of sin, has taken that away from us. That we can trust in you, that the finished work of your son on the cross, there is nothing more to do. That we are sustained daily by him, that we are given access to you, that he is the anchor that, that penetrates behind the veil, that holds us firm and solid, that we cannot get out of his grasp. We ask you to be with us throughout this day to humble our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and worship with us.